says, get that India, big boy. Well, ladies and gentlemen, it's uh, been a bit of a marathon like always with the regulation season, but we've finally gotten to the end of the 2021 NRL regulation campaign, and I'm your host, 4024, our final preview edition of the tip sheet for the regular season, and joining me as always is my good mate, 60s. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a heck of a run. There's been some very high highs. Uh, there's been a month of football that we'd all rather forget, but the Eels emerged through it for the better, it looks like. Mate, what a brilliant week that it was uh, to uh, last week to come out with that win over the Melbourne Storm. I didn't expect that there was going to be a victory, certainly not a victory of that magnitude. I think we all went into it with our hopes high, but there's a big difference between what you think your hopes and, and your realities, and man, what a emphatic win that was over the Storm, and we did talk about it in our podcast, and now it's time to look ahead to what is an enormous task this Friday night. Yeah, well, it's, it's laid the table, that win, for a fascinating final round with a, a very unique teamless pick, which is almost it's almost a trial for 2022, which is really cool that we're in a position to do that. But uh, before we get to the preview, like you said, there's a bit of NRL news to dive into. And unfortunately, I mean, it, it's not a negative one to start off with. It's probably bittersweet. Uh, the NRLW has been postponed on the back of the... Uh, Real, uh, what's called the relocation, the competition for the NRL and and all the uh, logistical restrictions that have come with it. So originally they were still planning to go alongside the NRL finals as a companion competition uh, with the NRLW culminating in their own final uh, to coincide with the NRL grand final. But uh, the power brokers have decided to postpone the NRLW into the early parts of 2022. Uh, so the official... I think they were... Weren't they actually kick off after the NRL grand final was played and then it was going to be a standalone. Um, I think that was the original plan, to be a standalone I, after I, the NRL. I thought the original finished. plan was to play play uh, Companion, but then maybe you're right. I could be recalling incorrectly. So, yeah, I, think that was the I think that was the first shift in the plans was that instead of being a... Um, being played alongside the NRL final series, it was first of all shifted back to give them a bit, bit more time to get organised and be up there, that well, sort I'm, of thing. I'm happy to be And then <laughs> now, as you said, with the logistics around it, they it, all the. I, I think the main issue, of course, is that you've got the COVID restrictions for movement into the state into and border, the yeah. Queensland state government is copying a, a bit of a blast for having uh, sports teams being prioritised. Yeah. yeah, and you, and and the average the average person isn't able to return to their state up there. So there's a bit of flack around that. Then, of course, you've got the scenario where the NRLW players aren't full-time rugby league players. So they've got their own issues around being relocated for any period of time. And I think that's easy to understand. And I, I guess when they add up all those problems that it was far better just to go, you know what, we can do it better by shifting it to uh, earlier next season when we've maybe got a bit more control over everything that's going on. And uh, I think I think that's a wise move. I know they're selling it as uh, as 
a big year in terms of the women's competition that there's two competitions in in one year. Two premiers, one season. They don't need to, look, I don't think they need to sell that to no, us 100% on not. the basis. I think rugby league supporters are intelligent when it comes to understanding the logistical issues around COVID and trying to get competitions happening. And we want to see the best possible product and really moving it till early next year is the way to get the best possible product. And that's really what it's about now with the NRLW as, a, as, as an entity in itself. We, we know that they're good players and we want to, we don't want to have a scenario where there were going to be players who maybe couldn't, get to Queensland for this competition and they don't want that when they're trying to expand. And so nothing's carved into stone at this point in time. It is just a nebulous 2022 new year. So once they can figure out dates and they've got a better idea of what, you know, the the overall logistics between state government and their own competitions are after COVID outbreak and uh, vaccination rates, they'll be able to give us a further, uh, I suppose, uh, more informational update there. But yeah, they do make note that in 2022, uh, the girls will be taking part in two uh, premiership campaigns alongside State of Origin and a World Cup, uh, obviously COVID pending. Um, but that's a, a lot of football for the girls on the horizon, which is fantastic for the growth of the game. And something that the Parramatta Eels will be in the forefront of, given that they're going to have their own NRLW franchise for said competitions. So unfortunately, we do have to put it on uh, the back burner for now, but it's for the better of the competition and for the better of the, the ladies involved. So that's going to be something cool for 2022. And that'll go hopefully alongside uh, some sort of youth competition in the summer, which I know Phil Gould's uh, sort of mooted and, and trying to get uh, put together to help fringe players and young kids that have had two, you know, the better part of two years now uh, wiped out or wasted because of uh, the competitions being uh, ended early. Sorry. Yeah, I, I'm not. I'm not too sure how that's necessarily going to work because you've got then you'd expect there to be a youth competition as part of the normal competition next year so i'd, um, I'd assume it'd, it'd be i mean maybe they'll get, have a trophy or something for it but it's just going to be a series of glorified trials you'd think with something similar or akin to what we did for the dragons uh for our preseason game earlier this year where there was a cap on NRL games played the previous year to allow fringe players and young kids to be eligible for selection. And yeah, I mean, I'm for the idea in, in so far as just getting some of these guys some more football. Uh, I know that clubs have to balance delicately, delicately, sorry, uh, that with their own preseason responsibilities. So that's going to be something huge to have to bridge, but I do like the, the idea as a concept. Yeah, as I said, I'm just I'm just unsure around the logistics of that because if we've got a New South Wales Cup that is able to be played as a normal competition next year with their starting date and a Jersey flag competition, which is, again, able to start on the usual starting date um, and they've got their pre-seasons that they work towards, it, it feels a bit strange that there would be a competition... I mean, maybe that becomes like a pre-season competition, uh, like the old Wills Cup and and what have you that uh, we used to have back in the '60s, '70s, early '80s. So, anyway, we we wait and see what the announcements are around that. But um, I, I look, I just hope that we're back to normal scheduled competitions next year. You'd you'd have to think, and without getting too political or what have you, that for all of us that have 
gone and got vaccinated that we'd like to be able to have some of the usual things in life that we enjoy being available next year. So anyway, fingers crossed on that front. Mm-hmm. Well, as the population approaches those thresholds that the government's been holding or enshrining as you know the key uh, break points or break even points, it was at 70 or 80% for the vaccination rates to, it's not herd immunity, but it allows the resumption of everyday life for, uh, for the most part. So we are training towards that and hopefully we can get that done sooner rather than later, which means that in 2022, these competitions won't be uh, at risk for the third year in a row, which would be really, really nice for these young guys and these fringe general prospects. And, and of course for us, we'd love to be able to get back to our home at Parramatta Leagues Club and back to some live podcasts on match day. We miss our uh, appearances down there and um, look, the club's been doing some great stuff with their uh, community work and making phone calls to members to make sure they're okay and doing yeah, they yeah. just did the uh, Vinnie's Vinnie's sleep out there um, raising raising money uh, last week and matching uh, the donations from members and uh, others in the community as part of that so they're doing great work they're still trading but mate we'd love to be back there and doing our live pods and being there on match days and getting that whole vibe and atmosphere uh, around around the football at, at the home of the Eels. So, um, yeah, fingers crossed that, as I said, we start to get back to doing the things we all love to do. And the community outreach from the club has been fantastic and it deserves to be commended. So, you know, fair play on calling that out in a, in a positive manner. Uh, but... Before we get on to the preview, there is a little bit of a signing. It's not news, but it's speculation, I suppose, in the press. Uh, one bit of retention, potentially, and one bit of recruitment, potentially. Uh, Blake Ferguson has been linked to potentially, I suppose, a one-year deal is what the media has been intimating on the back of Mike Acevo's ACL injury. And uh, I think Fergo's had a pretty lukewarm market. I think his uh, recent efforts have you know, sort of moved him towards, his recent positive efforts on the field have moved him towards potentially uh, re-upping for one more season at the club. But that's pure speculation at this point, mate. But how do you feel about that one? To be honest, I I think it's something that I can see eventuating. Now, you you, you mentioned that it's the the speculation or the rumours have come on the back of the Mike Acevo injury. And let's be honest, when it's... We're talking about, and we spoke about it uh, before, that that injury to Sevo could potentially mean that 2022 doesn't really happen for him because at best he's probably going to be available for the second half of the season. Mm-hmm. And Micah really needs a full preseason to get to – and he's a power athlete and we want him to have that stamina added to his game just a little bit more. He, he's going to really need a full preparation to be back on the field. So you look and you go – well, we already said that Parramatta was going to need to recruit if they were going to get rid of Blake Ferguson, if they're going to part ways with him. So if now they were potentially going to be without both of the regular starting wingers this season, and uh, obviously there's Hayes Dunster that's there, but um, who comes in to be ready to start at the start of the season? Further complicating this matter, of course, was the fact that the New South Wales Cup was ended early where you had Sean Russell plying his trade on one flank and you had Big Solomon and Iduki really starting to come into his own on the other. 
But without that back half of the season where the Eels would have been 100% playing finals, if not deep into the finals, where you could see these kids having a crack at some fairly big-time games relative to the competition, they don't really know that now. So that's that's all you know, vanished into the air. And while these you know, prospects are still there, they're once again short of a run. So you can see, I, I can see the logic in, in Ferguson coming back to the table for Parramatta. And I think it, it makes sense for him too, given that if he'd had something pretty lucrative already lined up, he would have taken it, you'd feel like. I know he was linked to the Western Force at one point, but Australian Rugby Union's a little bit of a, a funny beast and I'm not sure if that would have been his game. So yeah, this could be a marriage of convenience for both parties and certainly in the last couple of weeks, Ferguson looks like he's trending back towards his best. The numbers aren't, weren't incredible against Melbourne, but that's that was a story for quite a few players like we spoke about with the, the review podcast if Junior Paul and Nathan Brown. Their numbers were good, not spectacular, yet you look at the tape and it, it really transcended those you know, statistical uh, uh, feedback from that. Same thing with Blake Ferguson. You know, you mentioned uh, when you got me to do some of the clipping work for your article, talking about the moments in the game, you know, Fergo's double was caught offside from Marker. That was still a huge hustle play from him. He got back for multiple cover tackles and, you know, he just had some big moments uh, with and without the ball. So that's the sort of football we needed to see from Blake, and, uh, you know, especially given the context of the game and the context of games coming. So, yeah. Positive. When we... When when he was first dropped, we spoke about this and and where that leaves him and what we came up with back then, if I recall correctly, was the thought that he will be back for the big end of season games because that's where you want a player of his caliber mm-hmm. involved in uh, those sorts of finals matches. He you can't have a bloke that's got that level ex- of experience, and we've seen over the last. A uh, couple of appearances that he's made in first grade, that he is a bit of an X factor, that he can bring something that some other players can't, and you can't afford to have a bloke like that sitting in the stands watching. If there's any way that you can get him back into form, and fortunately, I think from Parramatta's perspective, his mind is now switched back on. You could you could just see that from the energy that he's been bringing out on the field, this now is his zone, isn't it? Once you start to get into the bigger matches, that's that's the Fergo zone. He, he wants to be creating an impression. And oh, I, I don't think he'd be ashamed of saying this. He enjoys saying to people, look at me, look at what oh, yeah. I can do. Yeah, 100%. And that's all, you know, usually the sign of a big game player is someone that backs themselves in those moments. And, I suppose the silver lining to the fact that he was dropped on form and fit sort of uh, defensive fit uh, problems was that he's coming into the back end of a season now where he's relative to his last few years very fresh. Physically, the you know the workload hasn't been there, wearing the body down, grinding him down to the point that you know he, he's got lots of niggles and it, you know it builds up to the point where he's you know playing double digit percentiles down on where he would otherwise be. So. We've got a fit and fresh Fergo who looks to be pretty, you know, focused and fired up. Lots of Fs, the alliterative uh, run there. And that's yeah, a, and, that's and, a good thing. and also, I think when we've seen him in his recent media appearances, that he he looks really in a good space. He looks relaxed, yeah. uh, happy. And as I said, it's, uh, well, I think you said he's, with getting freshened up, it's, he, he's, he hasn't been overloaded with the, demands of play this year and um yeah this this it'd be interesting to see how he responds to playing with so many 
younger and inexperienced people this week because he said that that was one of his motivations was being able to play alongside the young players. Yeah. So, um, yeah, wonder, it's, I'm wondering what sort of leadership and inspirational aspects we might see from him this week. And you know, maybe we might talk about that when we get into the preview, but of course there is some other speculation. Yeah, well, before, before, before we get on to the actual signing speculation, there was a humorous moment this week with Ferguson on Instagram welcoming Mike Acevo onto the Chrome Dome Club. So Acevo <laughs> got, the, got the shaven hair and Fergo was there to welcome him into it. Uh, one of us indeed. But yeah, on the signing front, uh, Eels linked to uh, Gold Coast Titans utility Tyrone Peachy. Peachy, who has been unable to broker a deal with his uh, current club, the Titans, uh, is now looking externally his options and Eels being linked strongly to him. And this is an interesting one because, um, and this is something we spoke about as well, was that a lot of the narrative recently was that the Eels are lacking a superstar. And while that's fair to an extent, and you could see that was sort of intimated by the fact we chase someone like a Tony Staggs, if the market itself won't let you sign a superstar because of other teams paying overs or whatnot, the next best thing after a superstar is a point of difference player. And that's something that Peachy really brings to the table. Yeah, it's interesting because we were able to find a point of difference player in Bryce Cartwright. Mm -hmm. And I think when we saw a little bit more from him in terms of game time last week, we were able to see a little bit more about the point of difference that he can bring to the team. Likewise, uh, Peachy, it's interesting that uh, just like Cartwright, he's he if he was recruited, it would have been from the Titans. And just like Cartwright, he, he enjoyed very successful times up at Penrith in terms of personal performances, was recruited to the Titans on the basis of being able to bring a little bit of X factor to their team, just like Cartwright. And probably, like Cartwright, hasn't quite fulfilled his potential since he's been up there. So I think it is an interesting potential recruitment there around Peachy. The utility value, it's maybe the, the if he is secured, the debate would be around what sort of position does he fill. Mm. Yeah, because with Bryce, you have an edge utility a guy that plays back row primarily but can also cover you in the halves, uh, centres and lock forward if need be, though in that order I'd say where it's back row, 5-8, then centre. And yep. with, with Tyrone, he's a guy that can start in the centres if you do need him there because he is a nugget and he's very difficult to tackle. But perhaps these days his best role might be that, uh, you know, we, we've seen it with the Eels and other clubs, that small ball lock forward and he comes in as your lock utility playing rotation with Nathan Brown in a given game, and then he gives you flexibility to play dummy half, halves, centre, uh, and where else you need to be in a case of emergency. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to see a little bit more of... Uh, I don't know that he's really spent that much time at dummy half, but you feel that in some respects there's an overlap with Will Smith, and I believe Will Smith's going to be there next season as well. But there is a little bit of an overlap, although Smith probably is more of your being able to cover all of your backline options and and dummy half, whereas Peachy can probably cover a, a an edge, a lock, and then into the into the uh, backline positions. And I probably have it slightly 
more of a question mark over the dummy half aspect of it. Yes. But the interesting thing is that we've got – we came into this season with three players with NRL experience or top-grade experience at dummy half. It's been proven to be needed with the loss of um, Reed Marnie for the season, so that Joey Lussick is there. But, of course, Joey became the only option with Nathaniel Roach's season-ending injury when he finally hit first grade for us. So we've gone from three down to the last man standing yeah. in Joey Lussick, and I think, you know, obviously, Joey's doing an outstanding job. I, I, I Absolutely outstanding job, especially in that last game. He was He was one of the standout players. But if... As rumoured, Joey Lussick is returning to the Super League and given the injury to Nathaniel Roach and his history of injuries, we don't know how the Eels see him as a, as an option going forward. Ray Stone has been tried at dummy half and has been moved back to uh, being a uh, back row or He's lock natural position. option. Mm-hmm rather than as a as a dummy half option. So where do the Eels go next year if they don't have Lussick, they don't have Roach, and then you've got Reed Marnie, who's had a double injury, like a, re- a recurrence of the same injury, and then you start to think, mm, is this going to be a chronic issue for him at, with that particular injury? So I think we have to make plans around having options at dummy half. You need some contingencies for sure. For, for sure. So, you know, internally, I don't think there's uh, anyone that's really on the radar for them to promote into that sort of uh, senior role, you know, in the importance of a, a backup dummy half. You know, you've got a young kid like Jaden Yates who's been, you know, rock sold in the 21s, you know, formerly the 20s and 21s, but to then thrust him into backup NRL responsibilities would be too much, I'd feel like. So, yeah, a bit of recruitment work to be done there, whether it's uh, securing Joey Lussick for another season, which would be huge, or finding his replacement. Uh, something needs to be done on that front because I feel like Peachy's an emergency dummy half off the bench, which is really nice to have, but he's definitely not a replacement dummy half. Yeah, that's right. So anyway, it'll be interesting to uh, watch that space and uh, to see what does transpire moving forward. You'd have to also assume then that... He's he's going to be um, well. We're not paying. We wouldn't be paying elite money for Peachy. So um, maybe the maybe the selling point for Peachy is Bryce Cartwright's experience with us this year. Yep, I mean he's we know he's a Sydney boy, so there's family here. Come to a club that's relatively close to where he made his NRL debut, and then play with you know guys that he knows were with him at the Titans that are a joint success here, whether it's Cartwright, Hipgrave, um, you know, so having a nice little system here might help and might help sell him on coming here for a competitive rate. So something to monitor in the coming days and weeks. But on that note, I think we'll uh, transfer, you know, speaking of that, that team that was near us, where he played his NRL football, uh, Penrith Panthers, nice little segue into round 25 of the NRL action. <clears throat> where, is it round 25 or round 24? It's round no, it's round 25, 24 matches in the season, yeah, so, but round 25. Yeah, the NRL, because the ladder hasn't been updated to next week, that's why. So it is round It is round 25. With the Parramatta Reels 
going. Is it a hosted game for Parramatta Eels this week? It is a home game, so yeah. So the Eels otherwise would have been at Bank West, would have been a huge one, absolute barn burner. And I think there would have been a lot more on the line if we played out our regular season at Bank West. But as it stands, Parramatta Eels fifth, hosting the second place Penrith Panthers. The Eels not quite blowing the minor premiership race wide open, uh, but giving the Penrith Panthers an outside shot at winning the JJ Gitland Shield uh, with a win over the Melbourne Storm last week. Now the Penrith Panthers relying on a win over Parramatta and also the Storm overcome, or sorry, failing to overcome the Cronulla Sharks, which would be enough for them to secure the minor premiership. So the Penrith Panthers have reward, rewarded the Parramatta Eels for their efforts last week by naming a full-strength team, and I, I mean that sincerely. There is seriously no weaknesses in their team relative to who they've named. Uh, starting at fullback, they've got Dylan Edwards as the custodian. On the wings, Stephen Crichton and Brian Toto. Crichton's probably a bit of a interesting pick on one flank, but... An outstanding athlete, even though he's more at home in the centres. In the centres, though, is Paul Momorowski and Matt Burton. In the halves, Jerome Luai and Nathan Cleary. Cleary hasn't got the C next to his name on Power Eels, but he will be the captain, uh, I believe. With Moses Leota and James Fisher-Harris in the front row, Apisai Korosau at dummy half. In the back row, Viliami Kikau and Kirk Capewell are on the edges with Isaiah Yo at lock forward. On the, Ty- on the bench, sorry, I was, on the, I was about to say on the Tyrone May. On the bench is Tyrone May. Joining him is Scott Sorensen, Tavita Pangai Jr., their mid-season recruit, and by mid-season I mean very, very late season, with Liam Martin, the final man, on the bench. Extended roster features Spencer Lenu, Isaac Targo, Taylor May, and Mitch Kenny. So yeah, that is a full-strength um, full strength roster there, 60s. Yeah, pretty ordinary side, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, if they're lucky, they might be competitive with the Parramatta team that we've put up there, but you know, I couldn't see them winning a few games in a row at all. No, they'll... they'll... The, the Panthers will go out in straight sets in the finals. Oh, so, be very, yeah. very lucky to qualify yeah. for the finals <laughs> and uh, quite an ordinary lineup. So, um, I'm I'm not expecting too much from them this week. Yeah. So, you know, Brian Toto just comes back two weeks ahead of schedule uh, in round 24 and nearly goes 300 metres on the ground. You know, he's, you know, he's going to slow down eventually, right? Jobber, he's a jobber. absolute jobber. You know, just he, he does. He takes all the soft meters, you know, and that that's why he, he pumps up his stats a bit. Um, yeah, yeah. But yes, Penrith, obviously an outstanding team. Uh, we we had a, fa- a fantastic matchup against them uh, late or late, post Origin, I believe it was, where uh, it actually sort of perhaps contributed to our slide, where we had a late chance to win the game. Uh, it was a unconventional penalty sh- shot spot. For rugby league, even though in rugby union it's you know automatic, and Moses just squeezed it, unfortunately, and yeah, and Penrith, and with an hour shot when they won a premiership, and you can understand why Cleary, uh, Ivan that is, has named the full strength team, even though he was leaning towards resting players initially. I think that was the messaging coming out of the far west in Sydney, that that was going to be the plan, but then Parramatta's upset for a spanner into that plan. So, yeah, here we are for full strength. Penrith Panthers outfit, and, and they're going to be fired up for this one. They always love a game against Parramatta. And even if they're going to be taking on ostensibly our reserve grade team, they're going to be looking to have every shot at winning the minor premiership. And they I'd, will... target, I'd target the Penrith halves. They're the weak link. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they won't go anywhere, mate. They the, won't go anywhere. The, the uh, game plan there would be interesting. And But the no, funny, funny saying that, the Panthers are actually no coming into this game, whether they're going to have a shot at the minor premiership or not, which will add another interesting layer to this contest because the game prior to the Parramatta Reels on Friday night is Sharks v Storm. 
So that, that'll be very interesting to see what happens to the Penrith camp there if they do make some uh, swaps in terms of their uh, 18th, 19th man prior to kickoff if uh, the minor premiership's not available and they do decide to put someone like Nathan Cleary on ice and then bring Tyrone May into the halves and someone else on the bench. But that's in terms of the Panthers, that's about it. We know they're a great team, love to play physical through the middle, fast out wide, got an incredible meter eater in Brian Toto, got you know, a complimentary set of halves with Nathan Cleary who does all the organising and Jerome Luai who's a spark plug. They're, they're a premiership threat for sure. And, you know, the Eels in another universe would have been, you know, battling with them for a spot in the top, you know, sort of two or three or the minor premiership. But what happened in that month of football really, unfortunately, conspired to make this game ostensibly a, a 2022 trial for us. Because speaking of which, the Parramatta Eels have named... Oh, just before we get on to the Parramatta team, yeah, uh, just just your opinion on something. So you, you were just bringing up how they'll know their fate prior to that, so if the, the Storm beat the Sharks, that the minor premiership isn't up for grabs. So do you see a scenario where, because they've, they've named their their 21, that they can't make too many changes, unless, of course, there are circumstances out of their control. So maybe that there's a shock food poisoning that goes through yeah. the team yeah. on yeah. Friday morning. And uh, they have to ring in the late changes, so maybe that's on the cards. <laughs> but yes, uh, prior uh, once they know their fate, I wouldn't be shocked to see uh, whatever changes they can get away with. But yeah, that that's uh, definitely something to monitor coming into the actual kickoff, which will be a bit over twenty four hours when this uh, podcast is posted. But yeah, for the for the Eels, this is a team that's actually, even though they're not going to, well, I say they're not going to win. We weren't going to win against Melbourne too, but they're long outsiders, given who they've named. This is a, a very fun and exciting team. Includes some uh, fantastic rewards for stalwarts of the club, for guys that have been toiling away in reserve grade and for young kids. So we'll start at fullback with Hayes Perham getting his uh, club debut for the Parramatta Reels, who joined us mid-season and has been the custodian for most parts of the season in reserve grade. On the flanks, uh, two of the only frontline players really to be named this week, and it's Hayes Dunster and Blake Ferguson. And even then, I think they're going to be playing in a limited capacity this week, given what they've got on the bench. In the centres, it's Tom Opacic returning from his rib injury with Michael Oldfield partnering him on the other side of the field. In the halves, Will Smith will be partnering Jake Arthur, who returns to first grade. And for Will Smith, this is a huge milestone game, being named club captain, and that's a deserved reward for one of the real good guys in our squad. And a guy that's done a lot of great work in reserve grade this year. And a very emotional week to, for him too as well with the uh, passing of his grandfather last weekend and he was able to share the news of his captaincy with his grandfather before he passed. So, um, yeah, very emotional. I believe the Eels are wearing black armbands, isn't it? A tribute to uh, Uncle Bill Smith. That's a fitting gesture. In the front row, Oregon Kafusi returns to first grade and he'll be partnering Makahesi Makatoa who makes his first NRL start, the Big Mac been a, a shining light for the Eels in recent weeks and this is a deserving reward for him and you know he now figures to be part of their finals campaign which is a meteoric rise to say the least uh, the only real concerning pick for me this week is Joey Lusick at number nine uh, given that he is our last dummy half option really but that's more of a logistical thing than anything else I suppose and I think they'll find a way to try and protect Joey as much as possible in the back row Bryce Cartwright and Keegan Hipgrave get the start the uh, Titan back row is there with Ray Stone at lock forward then on the bench, a couple of exciting picks. Samuel Loizu is scheduled to make his NRL debut. Uh, young outside back for the Pamarials from the same class as Panasini, Arthur, Russell, 
And speaking of Russell, he is the 17th man also scheduled to play. But yeah, the, the other feel-good story this week, Kai Rodwell making his NRL debut. Rodwell joined us uh, not even late in the preseason. He joined us post-round one in the New South Wales Cup uh, by way of West, I believe. And he's been outstanding as a lock forward for us in the reserve grade. Uh, tireless nugget in the lock forward position. Scored quite a few tries. Nice hit and spin. And he was a guy that was, you, you know, you've praised several times in this podcast, 60s. And this is a, a great reward for a guy that took a punt on going into the bubble as a you know very fringe NRL prospect. And now he gets his call up. He gets his cup of coffee in the NRL. Yeah, you know I love a hit spin made. We we did get to see a hit and spin try from Rodwell earlier this year in the New South Wales Cup. Called it was was that against the Roosters that he? Um, oh, sorry, the North Sydney Bears, the Roosters feeder team. That it, it we, might have been the Bears. We scored one of those tries. Yeah, and it was uh, on the club side of the stadium, if I if I recall correctly, right in front of where yeah. we were sitting for the broadcast. So, yeah, a fantastic reward for Kai Rodwell, and I hope he has a great game. And then the final spot in the bench, even though it's not chronologically the final spot because I called Russell early. But the other senior player, and that's Sean Lane. Uh, extended roster is. I have to ask you: Do you think they did this intentionally, like they they were playing some games of the reserve bench here? Because you got Will Penasini and Isaiah Papali'i, so you got the two P's, and you got Nathan Brown and Dylan Brown, the two B's, the two Browns, rounding out the, the final four man thing. I hadn't I hadn't thought about that, but yeah, interesting, mate. Interesting. Yeah, so uh, very very fun roster. A lot to to look forward to here. As a fan, even though they're going to be taking on a an ultra competitive opposition, like I said, this is ostensibly a 2022 trial. You know, you're getting a look at guys like Jake Arthur once again, who we had you know quite a few games this year to evaluate, even if it was during a difficult period for the team. But then you got guys like Sean Russell and Samuel Loizu, who I figure are going to come into the action uh, with at least half a game under their belt. I feel like the Eels will give Blake Ferguson and Hayes Dunster maybe the opening quarter at minimum, and then maybe the first half at most. And then you will see these kids rotate in. Uh, both Loizu and, and Russell capable of playing fullback too. So there could be some interesting rotations there. Uh, what what are you most excited about in this roster, mate? Well, it's interesting because, first of all, you've got about 11 or 12 players who arguably spent most of the their time in the, or at least half their time in the New South Wales Cup until the New South Wales Cup was... Uh, cancelled. So uh, let me run through some numbers here. Hayes Perham, nine NRL games, all of those with the Warriors. Hayes Dunster has now played 11 NRL games. Jake Arthur, six NRL games. Makahesi Makatoa, three. Joey Lussick, although he was experienced in the Super League, has played nine NRL games. Samuel Loizu, Zero. Kai Rodwell, zero. Both of those boys on debut. Sean Russell, one. There's seven players with less than ten games. And you can you can add and two on two of those on debut and you add in Hayes Dunster to get to an eighth. And uh even outside of that, you've got um not re- not what you'd call huge numbers in terms of the others. So Opachik's had 63 games, Oldfield 55, Will Smith 72, Oregon's 43, Hipgrave 48, and Stone 25. So 
if if you were to take out Fergo, who's played two hundred and forty six games, the granddaddy of the team on Friday night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cardi's got one hundred and twenty eight, and Sean Lane one hundred and eighteen. They're the ones that have had significant NRL experience. But there's three of them, three of them that you'd that you'd say are uh, are experience, extremely experienced NRL players. And apart from that, yeah, to have uh, seven players with less than 10 NRL games, it's, that's quite significant. So that's the interesting part to me. I was thinking about it before, about um, how challenging it is to come in as new combinations. And even though a lot of them have played together in New South Wales Cup, it's mixed up enough that there's going to be um, issues with combinations, communication, being used to playing alongside each other. Um, so Oldfield um, and and Opechik, uh I'm not quite sure how they're going to line up in terms of what side of the field they play. Yeah. In. So, but you you're still looking at. Um, whether they're combining with Dunster or, or Ferguson, it's not a huge amount of experience that's there. Um, then you're then you're looking at um, the, uh, the the edge players that'll be playing alongside of them. Well, you're going to have uh, Will Smith and Jake Arthur defend, defending out on uh, either of those edges as well. Again, probably not a lot of experience playing alongside of them. And then you you're throwing Cartwright and Hipgrave alongside the halves defensively. And again, probably not a great deal of experience playing alongside of them. So um, All up against one of the most world machines in the NRL this year. So, yeah, yeah, there is definitely the potential for this to be a blowout result against the Blue and Gold. But at the same time, I'm really excited for this one because you've got rookies on debut, you've got club debuts, you've got, you know, just young guys and and someone in Makatoa who's young at heart, you know, still playing his trade on the way to the finals campaign. So, yeah, this is a, for me... This is as much a reward for a lot of these guys for sticking it out as reserve graders and as young kids in, in what will be the second lost year for those grades. So the fact yeah. that we're in a position to do that because of the way the table fell is, you know, pretty unique and it is pretty cool. Well, um, I was having a chat on uh, the Higher Ground program with Chris Warren on uh, SEN last night and talking about the factors behind the lineup that the Eels have got out there, I said there's the obvious one about making sure that the NRL players are going into the game nice and fresh uh, for the finals. Then there's also the aspect of ensuring that there is some game time for the fringe players in case they are required due to injury. It's You, you can't really go into final series matches and be calling on blokes that maybe haven't played for three months. So you need to get something, uh, you know, some runs under the belt there. But then there's also the aspect of all of these blokes have been training in the bubble without football. And it it's nice for the for that club spirit and, and feeling like you're part of a squad effort if you can give these blokes a run. And I think there's there's a big part of it too that comes down where, where it comes down to that. So I think there's really three boxes being ticked in these selections. Is it something there where they can be criticised for these team selections? Well, I think if you balance it up and you go, 
well, you've got you've got the chance of winning a game, which may matter little in the scheme of things, or you keep things fresh for a finals appearance. And we know how desperately the Eels are keen to get past weeks one or two in the finals. And the last thing we can afford to have, when we've already had players missing that have been banged up and they're out for the season, last thing that we can afford to have happen is to be missing players in that final. So 100%. I, I don't think there's any way that you can be critical other than to say, well, look, it could be a shame if there's a score that's been put on them. So, um, yeah, and and I, as I said, I don't think I don't think in the scheme of things that if there's a score put on the team this week, that the the players are going to be too disheartened by it. No, you just want to see the effort and the enthusiasm across the board, and with the young kids and and the guys like Kai Rodwell in there on debut, you'd have to think that they're going to be pretty fired up. In terms of, the I game. think we're going to see. I think we're going to see that in spades that that enthusiasm and the and the effort. It'll be. Um, I, I think there's some blokes there that will want to make a statement. I, I really do. I think. I think Cardi starting is a good move. I think uh, Hipgrave's going to be and and Stone are going to be excited to be starting and and getting to make their presence felt. Stoney's a bloke that every time he seems to get a start and looking looking like he might be playing some consistent NRL football, he's picked up an injury and it's not been the same injury. It's been it's been a a list of different sorts of injuries and shoulder, uh, knee, uh, hand. He's he's done uh, all the sort of bits and bobs. He's you know what Stoney, although it's a different position, what he reminds me of Kaiser Pritchard. They they play different positions, but Kaiser was a lot smaller than the players that he was tackling. And, to, and that's probably true of Ray Stone. And there was never any concern about their own physical well-being no. and the way these blokes tackled much bigger players. And we know what Stoney does when he's, when he's hitting players, uh, just ab- absolutely hurls himself into them. So uh, with no thought of self-preservation, I... I I think to myself, the, these blokes, they're, they're probably opening themselves up to a range of different injuries, and that that was certainly the case with Kayser Pritchard, that it ended up being a range of different injuries. And Stoney's sort of on the same path, um, and uh, fingers crossed that he's now going to get a, a, a bit of a run where he's injury-free. So, um, yeah, so I think he and Hipgrave will be really excited about about starting the game and getting a bit more game time. And uh, as you said, all those debuts. So, um, yeah, it, it's it, there's probably not a bigger game apart from a final that you could introduce players for an NRL debut than against Penrith. So maybe, maybe the Storm, obviously. Um, but uh, big ask. And uh, as you said, there's, there isn't an exciting element about how are they going to go? What what are we going to see that's different from the team this week? Mm. Can, are we going to be those little individual flashes, or is the team going to put something together, you know, and really stick at the Penrith for you know a chunk of the match? Because the, the Panthers are going to be fired up, no doubt. They're, they're going to have a chance at the minor premiership potentially. This is also a huge derby for them. The chance to go two over the Parramatta Eels in a season is always big for the club. So yeah, there's plenty at stake here for the Penrith Panthers. Question for you, mate. Question, and this is this is a hypothetical that we don't really 
know uh, the answer to, uh, especially when we can't be watching training, is I wonder how much input at training in a week like this that Ryan Carr would have been able to have. Yeah, you'd think he'd probably, probably have elevated responsibilities this week because this is uh, large in part his team, isn't it? So yeah. It is, it is. And, and, and the also... reason that I ask is that there are obviously systems and patterns that are the same that you, you want all the players to play to through the lower grades so that when they're elevated that they don't have to learn a whole you know, whole the, lot of the stuff. The continuity of the systems, that's right, yeah. yeah. However, <clears throat> the difference with watching the New South Wales Cup this year and uh, um, was that what we saw was a lot less offloads in the Parramatta Reels New South Wales New South Wales Cup team mm. to what we would see in the NRL team. There was they they still played that power platform of the forwards getting the uh, territorial um, superiority and playing off the back of that once they get down to around the quarter line and obviously Jake Arthur and Jordan Rankin, their kicking game came into it quite significantly once they'd get down into the opposition quarter. So, But as I said, there was that little bit of a difference that we just didn't see the offloads. I think the, the Eels New South Wales Cup team sat quite low in, in across the competition when it came to offloads as opposed to the NRL team that feature right at the top of the NRL list when it comes to offloads. So I'm going to be curious as to what transpires with the forwards because, on the other hand, you've got someone like Cartwright out there who is renowned Prolific, for getting all the way. Football, yeah. So, yeah, that, that's, that's a little interesting uh, byplay that I'm, I'm looking for is um, to pass or not to pass amongst the forwards. I mean, so, part of that difference is also personnel. Uh, in the New South Wales yep. Cup, you had Makatoa, who's hard-nosed, north-south. Oggy's much the same. Uh, Wira McGregor's definitely not a, you know, an offloader. He is tear into the defensive line. In the NRL, you've got Junior Paulo and uh, Nathan Brown and Ryan Madison, all three of which are more than you know, comfortable free in the arm. But uh, back to Ryan Carr himself, in, in the same manner that this is a debut for the likes of Kai Rodwell and uh, Samuel Luizu and, and guys like Sean Russell also getting their second NRL game, guys that Carr has been heavily involved with. This is also perhaps a reward for Carr and, and you know, a, a little bit of an NRL debut for him if he is if this is speculative of course, but if he is more involved this week, that that'd be a reward for his efforts across the last well, technically two seasons, even though we didn't really get to do much for the, the first of them, uh, in the cup. So, you know, maybe a chance for him to highlight or, or showcase his ability in an NRL week to manage a roster and, and take on elevated responsibilities for the future. So, no, you, you know, you've been really bullish on Carr. Me too. He's been a great addition to the club and it'd be cool to see him have more responsibilities this week as a result. Yeah, I've gone on record as saying that I believe that Ryan Carr is an NRL head coach in the future. Whether whether it's at Parramatta down the track or whether he takes an opportunity that gets... Off, but elsewhere, uh, he's he's a he's a very skilled coach, a good mean, the, communicator. I've I've got a high opinion of he, him, and I I think he's validated high opinions with what he's was able to achieve with 
a very well-coached New South Wales Cup side this a, year. A very well-coached New, New South Wales Cup side that was heavy on young kids and had a lot yeah. of had a lot of uh, fluctuations because of NRL call-ups and, and fled callbacks. So he did very well on both fronts and had him finishing second and you know really firing towards the back end of the season too. It's a damn shame that there's not going to be any finals for the Cup because seeing how, how deep those young kids and and sort of the assorted guys that they recruited off the street, like Kai Rodwell, who, who actually played for another club in round one and came here and really solidified himself. Uh, it's a real shame we won't get to see that. But speaking of coaches, one thing we should have mentioned a little bit earlier, it's a milestone game, 60s. Okay, enlighten me. Well, t- take a guess. If we're speaking of coaches, who, who's going to be? Uh, well, obviously, we're, are we talking about Brad Arthur? Yeah. Can you uh, pull a number out of the air for me? Well... I know he just recently celebrated a hundred wins, so it's not that. No, that's fair. Um, and and given his coaching strike rate overall after some torrid years or torrid formative years, overhauling the roster, if you extrapolate that hundred games, it'll probably give you a good idea of what the other uh, benchmark this week is. Ah, uh, so that we're talking about the two hundred game mark. That's so right. it brings up yeah, the he's time. he's got a strike rate of. Um, just over fifty percent. So yeah, that would that would mean that not long after he's clocked up a hundred wins, that we'd be talking about two hundred first grade games. That's right, the big double ton. So well done to the commander in chief, the uh, bold eagle, as it were, at the Eels. And yeah, he's uh, been through thick and thin, and and back again and back. He's uh, seen the highs and lows that come with the club, and he's done a pretty damn good job overall. So well done to. Brad for sticking it out and getting to 200 and a chance to hopefully make it, what, uh, 204 by the end of the finals? Is that right? If he uh, gets gets all the way to the big dance? So, yeah, well, they'll have to go through four games if they're to get to the grand finals. So, um, yeah, I think, he's, I think he'll be pleased to have it uh, register as 202 and then take it for yeah. a week at a time after that. Exactly. So, um, yeah, if we get to 202 in this season, he's going to be very happy. And, of course, the other news that was recently uh, revealed was the one-year extensions of uh, Murph and uh, Kitty out there as well. So all of the speculation that was around BA being under pressure to be coaching the the team next year I think that was all quickly addressed by the club extending the contracts of his coaching assistants and that uh, well look we're on record as as being um, real strong advocates of BA's coaching and his uh, and that his perform his his record has been outstanding with the club especially guiding them through the the tough times that it has so we didn't see any way that he wasn't going to be seeing out his contract. And um, I'm glad that the club made those extensions of his assistance because something like that very quickly put to bed any rumours that were uh, that were out there. So, um, and, and that, you know what, I think it's, can we read anything into that with the performance of the team last week that, that um, the assistants were extended during that week, that there was a settling effect? There are so many moving parts when it comes to the behemoths that are NRL clubs that I would not be surprised if the, the sort of the calming effect, knowing that, you know, that much 
more of the future is being secured for just that bit longer, uh, translated to a reversal in form, or at least partially translated to why the Eels had such a strong reversal in form in the last fortnight. Yeah, there was certainly the players had been drawn into the speculation around BA to the point where they even mentioned themselves that they they pulled him aside. This is Gutho and yeah, Moses. Moses after mm-hmm. the game, saying that they pulled him aside and said, "Look, you know, we've always got your back, and um, don't even don't even think that there, there's any issues. So don't even worry about what's I mean, going on." In, in that same interview, they they you know quite for, like formally on the record said that it was the players letting the coaches down, not the other way around. So yeah. it's, it's always great to see uh, players take such ownership and responsibility of their own performances. I know in, in the NRL, it's very easy to hide behind the media, withering, you know, uh, putting like a withering hail of criticism on the coaches. You see it out in the West Tigers, right? Madge has been, and I suppose that the Tales of Tiger Town has helped humanize Madge a lot, but the, the coaches are such easy targets in a results-driven business when, you know, the players are often the ones that, they're the ones out there either executing or executing on the field. So that, that was it's, really positive for me. It's interesting that it for a lot of clubs, it only takes like a string of a couple of, of losses. And then the blowtorch is on, baby. Yep. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's quite astounding. When you think about the pressure that's applied to coaches during a season – when we know that unless you are a very special team, like in terms of your, the roster or the just the way you function as a team, it, it, most teams are going to go through some flat spots or they're going to struggle for a win. And um, undoubtedly, we, we saw the worst of Parramatta's form recently with those that run of losses. But when it came down to it, they they lost four games in a row. They've now won a couple in a row since then. Um, we probably don't have quite as high hopes that it'll be three in a row this week in terms of the uh, the players that have been put out on the field this week and not, not meaning as disrespect, but you, you, you're talking about a, a, a team. They're playing a team that's sitting right behind the storm and, have lost very few games over the last couple of years against a team who have played most of this season in uh, the New South Wales Cup. So you're going to go in there with a realistic thought about what the result's going to be this week. Um, But anyway, all of that aside, has there been a focus on BA and what he's achieved in the last couple of weeks to turn things around? No, there probably hasn't. So no, that's, that's coach comes, coaching in a, a nutshell, coach. man. <laughs> all the glory goes to the players in general, and then all the criticism. Mean, not the players are immune from criticism, but when things get tough, you I mean just look look at the NRL ladder right now. Look at it from top to bottom, and look at, at what storylines played out this year. In fourth place, Des Hazel was on the rocks at the start of the season, and you know, and now all of a sudden he's a coach of the year contender. Then you have at number seven, you've got Adam O'Brien, the Knights. There was serious talk about moving him on early this year when the Knights were struggling. You saw John Morris jettison from the Sharks. And then Ricky Stewart was uh, in trouble at the Raiders for some points during this year when they had their slump. Um, there's already been rumors of discontent for Madge at the Tigers, Todd Payton at the Cowboys. And, you know, you look at the dogs, and while Trent Barrett is still safe at the moment, the man before him, Dean Pay, d- 
didn't do much worse than what Trent did and got uh, thrown out with you know less resources available. So, oh, absolutely. He, uh, you know, Dean Pay uh, was absolutely thrown to the wolves when it came to the roster that he was handed and and the expectations that were that were placed on him, and uh, they basically didn't have the faith in him to hand him a stronger roster, but. They've, they handed it to a bloke, and again, with respect to um, to the coach, he hasn't achieved too much this year, Trent Barrett. No, but, the, um, the, the dogs have done pretty much what they did under Pay and, and before him, where there was you know flashes of competitiveness and and maybe a little bit of a late-season uptick when all the pressure is off, but he's, he's done this with better recruitment than what Pay ever, Pay ever had because of the uh, debt from Desi's days being finally cleared off the books. And yet the dogs are still going to win the wooden spoon, and not just yeah. win the, not just win the wooden spoon, they are uh, was it four games adrift at the Broncos now. Yeah. So when we were talking and uh, having to analyse the Eels' losses, we we spoke about things that we weren't happy with. There was a we did place a focus on a uh, number of players who we wanted to see more from that we we were um, raising aspects of their game that just weren't up to their normal standards. We spoke about we didn't we we weren't crazy about the uh, the eels defensive system, so um, we we levelled a bit of criticism at, uh, at from at the co- from the coaching perspective there. But just as similarly, when we were analysing what was done, you know the win over the storm, a lot of our praise was going to the players, and I and I thought uh, and. We we weren't really attributing too much to what the coaches had done during the previous week, and and I think that's probably um, that reflection, isn't it? That the coaches don't get too much credit. It's symptomatic of the process, yeah. As a fan, unless you unless you're certain coaches, unless you're certain coaches, and I and I think most of the time that BA features in media discussions is normally around the slump time <laughs> that might happen in the season yeah. or after there's been a couple of losses and then then you get the um, upsurge of certain fans that uh, want him, uh, want a change of coach and then the media likes to feed that a little bit. And um, yeah, so, uh, but when the, when the team's humming along, I, I don't know that apart from where we might give a bit of praise, I don't know that the media necessarily gives a huge amount of praise. They do, they do feature him on um, some of the shows because he's he's always good to um, accept requests to appear and have a bit of a chat on on some of the programs. But um, yeah, it's not as I said, it's not like there's a massive amount of credit that's that's sent his way. So um, yeah, a bit of a shout out to BA to be able to turn things around, but. What we saw as well on the field was a, a massive turnaround in attitude of the players. So we have to really acknowledge that there was a win that was based on um, a, a real shift in in terms of that desire and commitment and effort on effort plays and winning moments. So yeah, yeah. and it, rem- it is crazy to me that the only advocate that Brad Arthur had in that you know torrid month of football in the media was Paul Kent. Paul Kent was consistently coming to his defense, and I was like, "Are we living in bizarro world?" But uh, Kent seems to have some measure of respect for Brad and his processes at the Eels. So, 
know, well done to to Kent for that, and well done to everyone at the club for sticking through what could have been otherwise a hugely destabilizing period. Now, before we get, finish up our preview part of the podcast of our predictions against Penrith, uh, a bit of good news, two bits of good news coming out of Parramatta just now from Brad Arthur's media call today on Thursday, in that Quentin Gufferson and Reagan Campbell are both cleared to return to action next week against, uh, I presume, looking at the ladder, uh, I uh, if the Roosters win, they'll leapfrog us at fifth, so we play the Knights. If not, we take on either the Sharks or the Raiders, or on an outside chance, the Titans. So uh, we'll be back with our one of our you know form front roles, the competition in Reg, and obviously our captain and fullback in Quinton. So a uh, big uh, boost there. But yeah, let's go back to our predictions quickly, mate. Uh, I think there's a little bit of deja vu here in that uh, competitive result for Parramatta this week would be an incredible outcome, given that Penrith have named their blockbuster lineup and we've named our New South Wales Cup team. But uh, maybe outside of a win, what what is a prediction you want to see in this game from players or an individual player? I think what I'd like to see is the forwards maintain... like holding their own out there, I think there's the capacity for, for that to be the case. Um, and I, I guess if I'm, if I'm going to be conservative, I'd, I'd like the, I'd like the game to be reasonably tight. And by tight, I mean, you know, less than a, say a 16 point margin. That's fair. That, um, I think once we start to go past that, and we know what Penrith's like in terms of their momentum in a game. So, as I said, I'd, I'd like the forwards to really be holding their own and make it make it tough for Penrith to get that momentum. If you can disrupt Penrith's energy and momentum you go a long way towards getting the win. If they get on a roll really early and they're, they're a type of team who love that ad-lib football. They'll just get bigger and faster on the back of possession. Yeah. So they'll probably play a reasonably tightly structured football to start the game. As you can imagine, like all teams are, no matter whether they're, they're good with the ad-lib or not, but the, um, They'll they'll start structured, and I think the idea is going to be to keep them within structured football as much as possible, mm-hmm. and to avoid them getting into the unstructured stuff. That I think that's the best way to keep it tight against the Panthers. If they start to get away from us in during the structured stuff, you you know that they're just gonna they're yeah. gonna just throw that ball around, and and it's, it's um, gonna be a long day if if they can yeah. you know start freeing up the arms and and opening us up via second-phase football, then they're going to be really dominating possession and field, uh, field position. So, that I mean, that that's a possible outcome given the disparity in, in youth and experience or talent and experience, I suppose, uh, to the name rosters. But for me, I think first and foremost, I want to see uh, Joey Lussie get through this unscathed. It'd be a crippling loss, obviously, if he picked up some sort of serious injury. And even if he just got you know banged up a bit, uh, the loss in, in his playing capacity against whoever we take on in round one of the finals and, and forwards would be huge. Uh, but beyond that, um, I would love to see any of the young kids get over, whether it's uh, Samuel Lewis on debut, Sean Russell making his second NRL cap, or Kai Rodwell in the back row. Uh, any of those guys getting on and over would be fantastic. And then outside of that, um, big game for Oregon Kafusi. 
Uh, he sort of uh, slipped down the the forward rankings in terms of the middle forwards. Now, Makassi Makatoa's arguably supplanted him in the NRL squad, uh, which mean, doesn't mean he's out of it. Uh, a great game here against Penrith, and he's up against Leota and Fisher-Harris. You can't ask for much more of a challenge, and there's obviously Pangai Jr. off the bench. So this is a, a really good shot for him to uh, put some great tape on the film or on the camera for Brad Arthur to consider. And then, yeah, outside of that, hopefully Will Smith has a, a you know, it's going to be a very emotional game for him given the loss personally, but I, I hope he has a great game, you know, and can enjoy uh, what is a very significant milestone. Getting the captain of the Panama Reels is no small feat. So, yeah, that that's uh, my cause out of this game, hopefully. I think the interesting player out there will remain Bryce Cartwright because he's had the limited game time and he's been introduced into games far too late for my liking. He now starts the game, and I think he can make a statement about how many minutes he can play or, or whether starting the game can suit what the Eels will be looking to bring in the final series. Mm-hmm. So, um, And just on um, Oregon, I think the, the thing that Oregon still has in his favour in terms of team selection is the fact that he is a high-energy player. Yeah, he brings a lot of juice off the bench. Absolutely. So um, even even when you've got players who are maybe just making a few more metres or um, making a slightly bigger impression, the one thing that BA knows that he's going to get with Origin, uh, with Origin, with Oregon, is, <laughs> is, that, uh, is that intensity that he that he plays with. So that that carries him a long way in terms of uh, respect in team selections. That's, that, that is a very salient point, and it's part of the reason why we we're so excited about Augie for a good parts of this year, uh, up until he got a bit nicked up and a few errors crept into his game, is that he is a legit impact presence off the bench. So depending on the – it might be, end up being a horses for courses thing, but Makato has made the contest fascinating, which is a good thing. Uh, the big man's come on and, and had a really sparkling start to his NRL um, career. So, yeah, they're, they're the things, and I agree with you about Bryce. I don't want to see him overplay his hand because he's got the start, but if he just keeps doing what he's been doing, running hard, working really hard on defense, like that's really what stood out is he's been doing doubles from dummy half, he's been pressuring the kickers and, and throwing his body into the contest in terms of the tackling. So I want to see more of that from Bryce with the uh, caveat that he should be allowed to do a little bit more playmaking with Will Smith and Jacob Arthur helping steer the team around. Yeah, and it, it, again, it comes down to um, if – if he's given that little bit more responsibility, is that something where that composure, the the tighter control that he's had over the um, the risk taking that's that has always been part of his game, whether that's reined in a little bit or um, yeah, just what we see over what might be an eighty minute game, they might expect from him. Hard to tell. Um, yep. it, it could be that he swaps out with Lane a little bit earlier than expected. Um, although Lane could come in and be a middle rotation. So they are they are light on middles on the bench. I wouldn't be shocked if Lane did play middle. Yeah, yeah. It's when you when you have a look and see. Well, it's only Lane and Rodwell that are forwards that are on the bench. Then that's probably going to be um, a result. Although it might it might well be that. Um, you get a, an interchange that might involve uh, Lussick coming off and uh, Will Smith 
going to uh, dummy half yep. and then a little bit of a, a swap around in the um, Bryce, in the back line. Bryce can't to, run into the halves or one of the young kids into the halves. Yeah, there's yeah, yeah. Op- options. But that, to... that still doesn't that still doesn't solve that uh, middle rotation. It's no. just looking at um, how you maybe start to use the likes of uh, Louis Hu and Russell that it might it might come on the back of a of a bit of a rotation there. So. Um, yeah, interesting to see how that pans out. But um, anyway, mate, it's an exciting um, game to look at in um, in that it brings the unexpected this week. That's yep. really what it is. It's the um, it's the unexpected. How did the how did the team go? Yeah, do you know what? It's actually in a way it's reminding me of back in the seventies, the mid seventies when when Parramatta was starting to surge in the Terry Fernley era, they had really strong reserve grade team. And there would be times where um, around the representative games that, uh, and and that when I say representative games, that would also be like mid-year Australia test matches as, as well as the interstate or city country and those sorts of things. But, there would be times where um, players would get a bit more of a run from reserve grade. And I can remember there was one game and um, they might've been playing the Roosters. I'm not sure, but the Eels ended up naming a team which featured a similar sort of number of players from reserve grade being elevated and they ended up winning. And uh, it might have been as a result of injuries as much as um, some sort of selections that were going on, but it, it had that feel. It was like, oh, the, with so many reserve grade players, they managed to, to find a win. And there were blokes that were running around there that um, that barely played very much first grade at all, but they came up and they did a job. Or they were in, And there was also some blokes who were maybe getting a bit old in the tooth and... and weren't playing as much first grade, but they came up and they did the job. So, yeah, I'm interested to see how this goes because we've certainly got that mix of youth and um, some a couple of older heads, and, yeah, it would be interesting to see how it goes. So, um, yeah, exciting because of the unknown. No, it's a a nice little way to sign off on the uh, preview against the Pampers. And on that note, uh, let's keep chugging because this has been a, already a monster podcast, almost fitting uh, given that it's the last regulation season podcast that we're going the distance here. Uh, but we've got another special guest this week as we continue our, uh, sort of our journey and our discovery into the uh, junior district in the Parramatta Reels. And I think you've got the uh, nice little intro for us, mate. The Parramatta District Junior Rugby League is renowned for both the numbers of players and the strength of the clubs that compete in the district. Virginia clubs don't become successful without the hard work of the community that's behind them. Today, we're continuing our Parramatta stories with a club which has succeeded in being a rugby league innovator. It's our pleasure to speak with Tim Mogridge from the All Saints Toongabby Tigers. Tim, thanks for joining the tip sheet today. Thank you, Craig, and it's my pleasure to be here with you today. Uh, Tim, we'd normally begin by asking when the Tigers started as a club, but given there's a bit more to the story, can you give us a brief overview of the club's history? Look, you know, Tim, Tim Gabby Tigers formed in uh, 1928, which is one half of our merged club. And, you know, Tigers had a long history in the Parramatta District and 
you know, is is a real sort of stalwart in in, in A grade terms. Has always been around for senior teams. Um, in 1998, the other half, the All Saints Rebels formed, and you know everything was going good for both sides. But you know by 2005, things started to um, wane, and they were both starting to sort of you know struggle to a degree. And then in 2006, you know All Saints Team Gabby Tigers was formed, and 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 that's really a brief overview of our history. Um, yeah, Rebels played out of um, uh, Red Bank, which is the old Arthur Phillip Reserve where we still train, and two Gabby Tigers, you know, play out of CV Kelly where we play our home games on the weekend. One of the cooler factoids about the Tigers is that when they made the merger, uh, the All Saints two Gabby Tigers, they actually incorporated on the first of November, which is All Saints Day. Yeah, yeah, right. I, I, that, there's something new for me. I didn't know that, which is amazing, right? Which informs into line with, you know, the the rugby league sort of financial year as well, right? Yeah, which it's, is, it's uh, an which amazing is lineup, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's um, that's a little sneaky one there. I didn't know that. So, oh, look, you can always rely on John to do his research <laughs> and to come up with interesting factoids there. Yeah, there you go. You're like the Middleton of Parramatta <laughs> Rugby League. I wish I was as informed as old David, but uh, you know, I, I get my little facts here and there. Oh, so, so speaking of 2005, when that the merger sort of went through, you've experienced tremendous growth as the joint venture. How many teams and players do the Tigers currently have? So at the moment, we've got 27 teams um, with you know approximately four, yeah, 430 odd players. Um, 100 plus for the last three years is that is female. That's been our significant growth. Um, and, you know, from the sort of merged 10 teams and then they were down to sort of five at some stage. And then 2014, 13, 14, we really took off and it was great work from um, our previous committee led by some, you know, life members um, now. And, and who are synonymous with the area and from both sides of the um, of the merger. And then we came in, in um, you know, the current crop, we're probably in our fifth year, I would say, and, you know, we put together a strategy and, you know, I, I had a dream around the girls' program myself. I, I sort of drove that program in Parramatta District and, yeah, it's, it's really paid off. Now, we're going to talk about that at length because that is a huge feather in the cap of the Tigers. Yeah, it is. It, it is. It is significant. <laughs> so, just just on that, it, it it is quite a remarkable turnaround for the merge club. And you, and you mentioned the the hard work that was done by the people behind the scenes, and also the growth in the in the girls' game. Is, is there anything else that you can attribute that growth to? Because to to have two clubs that were struggling for teams. Albeit, we you know with a bit of history of better times, but you're struggling for teams. Then now you've got this growth that's occurred. Is there anything in particular, or is it a culmination of different facts that's brought about yeah, that growth? It is a combination of different things, and and I think um, you know, firstly, I have to pay um, respect to our volunteers, you know, coaches, managers, trainers you know, the off-field staff, there's like 150 of them. And it's, you know, it's such a community environment. We have, you know, stalwarts of people, you know, that have been around the club for a long time. Um, and that, 
really creates the family environment. And, you know, we regularly have, you know, when a kid, you know, when a player leaves and the parents, I see them and they go, oh, look, I left because I wanted to pursue Division One. we're in Division Three, or they wanted to pursue Division Three. you know, we were moving up. You know, they always say we, we, we miss the Tigers' family environment. And that's one thing that I think is really strong with us. Like, um, I'm so pleased to be a part of that and, and really, you know, to be able to not lead, but we sit beside each other and, you know, we, it's just, it's a great environment. That, that is, that is one of them. But the, the other one is, you know, the, you know, years ago, we didn't really have a brand. We had a sort of tied uniform and I think we, we brought a presence to Tooney and, and really put like a strategy around the clothing. And at first we did the hard yards and gave um, players like a hoodie just to get our orange and blue out there where we traditionally just had like a plain blue and it didn't really have a presence. When you looked up on a field, there was no orange around. And I think we've done a pretty good job now in changing that and bringing more orange, which was, you know, the toony and the blue was more sort of the All Saints Rebels. So it was, you know, because we didn't, we weren't really, you know, driven by the merger, we were able to make decisions based on promoting the club. Mm -hmm. And you, you just alluded to the family aspect of the club being huge, uh, but given the, the growth you've had and the amount of teams and players that you field, you must have a lot of volunteer roles to be filled in support. Uh, that that lends itself towards that supportive community that's behind you through Tungabi and and around, isn't it? Yeah, it does. But I think I think generally we um, are only fulfilling maybe the odd manager role, some new trainers. We've had we've had such great um, longevity in our coaches, and our coaches have stuck by us. Like each year, we're only changing. The last couple of years, we're only changing one or two coaches, and that has a massive role to play in making sure that, you know, the core group of kids stick and families stick with that one coach and buy into what the coach is sort of delivering on behalf of the club. You know, it's it's the coaches are what drives and delivers our culture rather than the club doing that because that's just not, you know, I, I can't deliver 27 individual cultures of a team from yeah. a secretary point of view. Exactly. But the coach, manager and trainer, like now they've got their own individual pages, they do their own dinners and it's so good. Honestly, it is, it's great to see when you see it shared by socials. Uh, we touched before on the Tigers female program and it's rightly received recognition and praise the club's definitely been a pioneer in the Parramatta district, and I've even heard it. Heard, I heard it from a reliable source that it's uh, potentially the best, or it definitely is the best in the country. Can you talk to us about the Tigers' journey in that space? Yeah, look, I, I'll downplay that. I, I mean, I'm I'm not one to <laughs> to promote, you know, to promote anything like that. But I, I will say that. Um, you know, it started with myself with probably like five or six families sitting at the Pendle Inn. We just went to the bistro and had a feed and sat down and said, look, I really want to make a, a girls' rugby league side. There was nothing happening in Parramatta. 
nothing since we'd won the like an under 18s or an under 19s in like 2009 with some current NRLW players. Um, so we won, it was like an under 19s girls program. So, you know, I found some kingpins, as I like to call them, you know, some key people. You know, key, you know, people, key influences in your club that can help you and and get you, you know, get your buy in and get you a bit of a, you know, a, like a bit of a lone nut on the hill, you know, dancing away, trying to get um, people to follow you. And I got that presence with a few people and a few players, and then from that. We went to, you know, into the Penrith district with one team, an under-14 girls' side. Like, I even got approval for my daughter and her friend to play at age 12 to stand up against some of the giants of some Marys and so on, yeah. you know. It was, it, was, it was a challenge back then. And, you know, and the girls absolutely did not care what was on the scoreboard. They loved it. They went to, you know, girls' rugby league programs. They went and supported the the girls' Australian side. I think Jilla Roos, right? Um, you know, did things that I was like, wow, you know? And, and what was the really good thing? All these girls were keen to learn. And that's what really sort of spurred us on. And uh, myself, Greg Black, who's another uh, coach and been around the club, Tune Gabby, for a long time and, you know, now his wife is now the coach, Roxy Black, of our 16 girls. You know, this, these are these things that now have followed on from this and we were never going to compete. We sit right in the middle of Hills, Cabra and Wenny. We were never going to compete on a, on, a, um, on a male you know, side they're, they're related. They're intense titans, yeah. They're intense. It, I, I can't make anyone come to us for Division One if you're already a winning. That's, you know, that's just pie in the sky stuff. So I did it with females and, you know, and now we've had endless girls represent in the Parramatta side. We're the mm. core nucleus of it. Um, you know, we've got a group of girls coming through in our current under 12s, which will be next year under 12s, 14s, 16s. Oh, that is super impressive. We are a genuine Division One female club. Um, I would say most others are development clubs and we're, we're still developing because we're, we're a constant development club that um, develops girls for junior rugby league, you know, and even if they leave, I'm okay with that because we're just converting every year girls from Oztag and Touch to give rugby league a go. Mm -hmm. Well, speaking and, of that, that core nucleus yeah. of the junior representative programs, uh, myself and Craig, you know, heavily involved in the coverage of the junior reps across all three grades, Matt's Ball and Tasha Gale, and two young ladies we had an absolute blast covering this year were Losalio Cedar-Payne and Ruby John Kennard. And they're both Tigers yep. players who enjoyed great success in the 2021 season going on to representative honours. In such a big yeah. – I was just going to say, 100%. in such a big club, there'd be so many that could be spoken about, but those two in particular must be proud of. Yeah, look, Sita, he's, he's only been with us for a, a year or two and relatively new, but, you know, an absolute powerhouse and probably come over with Ruby. 
but Ruby was in that group that I spoke of at the um, at the bistro, you know, all those years ago to play in under fourteens. Um, Ruby and her mum come down that night, and you know, to see her go the full throttle and and represent is is yeah is really pleasing, and was something that we would have struggled in the boy domain, but you know, the girls' rugby league is just yeah, put us on the map, which is fantastic. And now, one day in the future, they may end up donning the sky blue in senior footy. But in regards to former players, given it's been part of his state of origin introduction graphic 14 times, most people are aware that David Clemmer played his junior footy yeah. for the Tigers. Are there any other former famous players that we might be uh, aware of or not aware of right now? Yeah, and look, I think, um, unfortunately, because we lost him to the Tigers in the sort of 17 age group but mitch moses is is a is an all saints boy through and through um you know I, i've asked him to change his uh, <laughs> <laughs> change I, I, can, I can understand why you want to claim mitch you know kind of, kind of a big yeah. name in the competition yeah yeah but he played through he played with us until about 14 i think or 15. Mm-hmm. I mean, you got so, that, you got you got rights to claim that then for sure yeah yeah absolutely like like mitch we actually claim more than probably Dave Clemmer. But Dave Clemmer just loved the family environment in the few years that he played at Tuny. And he said, this was the one that propelled me and made me want to continue in rugby league. And I'm like, wow, that's it's pretty inspiring. He yeah. said that to a group of kids, you know, which is amazing. Um, yeah, so Mitch, we're pretty keen to um, claim, and we always do. And look, he... He comes down to any days that we want and so on. He's a great supporter. So Mitch is always there. Um, George Tafua as well. Um, George played a number of years. Yeah, story, story around mainly now. Yeah. yeah, around the Mitch, I think around Mitch's time as well. He went to Wanny for one year, I think, and then got graded to Manly, hence probably Wanny probably claims Georgie as well. But, you know, he... He spent a number of years at Tooney. Same with Jacob Loco. Jacob Loco was a through and through Tooney yeah. until he got graded. So, yeah, but you know he had his challenges off the field. Poor old Jacob. Yeah, pretty, pretty just talented. He was a great. Just, yeah, a bit, a bit unlucky yeah. off the field. He was um, a great player. And w- um, when we first started communicating to get our our chat and our Parramatta story about Tungabi Tigers happening, um, mm. we were. We were looking at, um, at doing a little bit of an extra story on the state of mind weekend that you had planned. Um, I'm assuming that COVID's not only stopped that from happening, but a, a few other mm. events um, happening from this year. Uh, can you talk us through the importance of an event like the state of mind weekend? Yeah, the, you know, obviously the state of mind is, is aimed at mental health. Um we went through a significant um, life-changing event for myself and a number of colleagues within the club a number of years ago. And, um, you know, we still pay respects to um, David Murphy's name was, who, you know, he um, left us, you know, way too early. Um, and it was through suicide and, you know, it's something that we'll never, ever forget. And the way that it, um, affected our community. Um, and out of that, you know, we we looked to the NRL to give us an opportunity in the State of Mind program. At the, at the time, I think 
there was like sort of uh, maybe 25 to 30 clubs involved in the state of mind Australia-wide and we were the first one in Sydney, I believe, in the Parramatta District. I, I can't remember back that far, but I know definitely Parramatta District, of course. And um, we went through the program and Rennie Matua ran a really powerful session with a number of kids and we just bought into it, yeah, just really we're already engaged. So it, it, it just bought in. So we just started running that as an annual day. We got sponsors and got a green jersey in the state of mind colours. Um, yeah, so that, you know, that, that was a game changer for us. Um, you know, so that was that was a complete and utter game changer. And, you know, and then this year we were fortunate enough to be involved in the Ready for an Offload TV campaign, you know, and that's where it's led to. Yeah. And we were ready for a massive State of Mind weekend, um, which COVID has impacted. You know, we were, you know, to put a – and before – but before COVID hit, we were able to put a 100 – 13 to 18 year olds through an NRL state of mind program, which is the Get in the Game workshop. Um, Alan Tung and Alan Tung was so impressed with what we're doing, what Darren Wilson, our president, who leads this from start to finish, uh, who's, you know, got his own job, you know, like he runs, he's a commercial manager, but on the side, you know, he's our president and does the State of Mind program and Alan was so impressed by what Darren had done that hence that's how we got in for the Ready for an Offload TV campaign and, um, yeah, and we're, you know, we've cemented ourselves in the State of Mind program and, you know, we're, we're a leader in that space, which, you know, <laughs> from a volunteer point of view, it feels weird sort of saying that, but, we are, and we're proud of it, and oh, we're proud of where we sit in that. Yeah, yeah. and, and the, I mean, in general, I feel like the the growth and acceptance of the importance of mental health in rugby league overall has been one of the most significant aspects of the game in the last few years, and it's a credit to the Toon Gabby Tigers, the All Saints Toon Gabby Tigers, that they've helped spearhead that program, so well done. Yeah, thank you. And that almost preempts my next question, and, and I'm going to have to cheat now, because I was originally going to ask you if you could nominate one aspect of the club that you're proudest of, but given your endeavours in the, the women's game and, and mental health, it's kind of like, well, one's a little bit hard. So uh, what what else are you proud of the club? Because it seems like you've done a lot of great things in the recent years. Oh, look, I think, I think one thing, you know, what's lost on, you know, at times is you come into these volunteer roles. Our primary focus is to engage kids into a team environment and keep them there. And that, you know, from that comes life skills, comes family, comes friendships, comes the ability to raise and influence mental health, to create an environment that they're proud to be a part of and want to stay involved in sport. Like, in the end, we're, we're judged by not just bums on seats to say, oh, we've grown or we've done this, but we're actually keeping kids in sport. And, you know, I know each year I'll get, you know, like a hundred, you know, anywhere from 50 to 100, oh, probably more. I'd say 100 transfers, even more now these days. Um, but it's it's keeping kids in sport 
that are that have been a, a, lo- a long part of the club, but also the kids that are transferring out of clubs that are, you know, for whatever reason. And we've got to engage them guys quickly and hopefully they stay for the three to five years. Because, you know, kids in sport is a, be- is a great thing for everyone, right? For yep. families, for, for mental health, for growth, for fitness and all that sort of stuff. So that, that's part of... That's the part I'm most proud of, you know. And then out of that comes the girls' rugby league and comes the mental health. So you can't do it without a community, and I feel we've got one. That's a very savvy answer. I like that. Yeah, and Thank you. and it and it also touches on the next question because COVID's really put a stop on kids being able to get out there and and play sports. I mean, it's been awful for everyone in many different ways, but it's really, it's shut down what kids are able to do each year with their sport. And um, it's obviously a challenge. Is it, is there also going to be a challenge moving forward to, in terms of planning what next year looks like or uh, how, how, how does, how do things look like for you going forward? Yeah, it's, it's, it is a challenge because, you know, we sort of, press pause at round 10 whatever it was around 9 10 and we've got a whole set of jerseys from the state of mind day ready to go and you know we we'd ordered different you know we were in the plans of doing like the old boys jersey and for our round or an old boys top and you know we've sort of taken money from sponsors and you know we're going to do the awkward conversation you know, in December, because we get everything ready in sort of November, December, ready for a January sort of order of, you know, shirts to be ready by March, you know. And that's uh, – I really don't know. Like, I mean, we haven't even, you know, sort of wrapped up this year because we're waiting for um, for confirmation of what's happening and how the season going to wrap up from Power Junior League and then that will – propel us to sort of plan for next year. We can't park 2021 yet, you know? Yep. Well, speaking Challenge. speaking of those sponsors, uh, we spoke earlier in this podcast about the value of families and volunteers to the function of the club, but given there are unavoidable expenditures in the operations of the Tigers and every football club, uh, what type of assistance yeah. do you get to help make those ends meet? And you already spoke about the difficult conversation you've got to have with sponsors, but, you know, that's that's part of the community network, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And, and you know, first and foremost, you know, Parramatta Junior Rugby League with their major sponsors in Paraleagues and Paraleagues, you know, obviously a powerhouse behind the Junior League and support um, Parramatta Junior Rugby League. You know, we've got a new sponsor, whole group sponsor in Subaru um, that the Junior League have brought on to work with, as I say, to be equal with the, um, you know, Paraleagues and so on. But, you know, our... Our sponsors direct, uh, McGrath at Blacktown by uh, Joel Hollings. They've been, um, you know, amazing for us. They've been, they've, they've really led from the front and really supported us. And our community have supported them as well in turn. Um, Ecotone, which is previously Norcor, you know, Tony's an old, um, old boy. So play for Tooney, you know. It's 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 that that stuff's great, you know. The Pendolin they've been um, long supporters as well um, for A grade and 
and so on. And now we're open women's and, you know, this year we had two A-grade sides. So sometimes pre-COVID, you know, you could have 50 to 100 people back in the bistro on a Sunday night. That's good for business, right? That's yeah. Oh, yeah. really great, you know, and then it turns through to, you know, bar sales and so on and, you know, and we make sure that our nights are held there. We have a, um, you know, like a pre sort of, you know, sort of a season launch, I suppose, and we put money on the bar and food and for all the sponsors to, you know, sponsors to meet our current coaches and managers and trainers and create that environment from from the season opening right through to the end. Um, and then the last one, Ellis Space Tension, I can't thank them enough. Um, Casey and Ben are... Yeah, ex sort of um, Darcy and Ben played for St George, and but they've really helped me in the girls' program as well in recruiting, and and they currently, you know, not just are major sponsors, but they also coach um, the girls' side plus two a boy side each. Like they're just heavily entrenched, and mm. they got some of the most exciting under fourteen girls, which will go into under sixteens next year, coming through in the state. Like for them to win, like last last year in the Penrith district, to win the semi-finals and the finals of the of the under thirteen girls fifty zip fifty zip versus like Doonside, St Mary's, Mount Druitt Alliance, and just wipe the floor with them. It's pretty exciting. Yeah, <laughs> no, I, I, I believe it. I believe it for sure. <laughs> I can't wait for those girls to. Um, grow and develop more through under 16s now. Um, they'll certainly build different strategies and moving into like 11, 13 a side or, or whatever the changes that come with them and just playing different sides. Like this year in under 14s, they, I think it was one try scored against them in, to round wow. 10 yeah. and seven, eight. Yeah, crazy. Uh, and, crazy. And of course, now with the exciting pathway within Parramatta to an NRLW team, it's it's uh, uh, it's really a, such a growth area, isn't it, the, the female rugby league? Yeah, 100%. And, yeah, we have to do, you know, we have to have this sort of stuff to um, engage the girls because, you know, there's, there's definitely some attraction from Union in the sevens. Um, you know, you could go and play com games for them, right? Yeah. And the school system's are actually ahead of rugby league where the sports schools have got union systems already in place. So there is some challenges there that we need to and be ahead of the game. That's something yeah. you don't think about as a regular fan, isn't it? The the school infrastructure and all those sort of auxiliary programs that mm-hmm. you're, you're, you're almost competing against even though they're not, they're not affiliated against clubs. But, yeah, that's just another challenge for the junior clubs. That's really interesting. Yeah, it is. And, and it's something that I'm – always wary of and and look you know my my son goes to the dark side and plays the union as well on a sunday but it's just staying with his mates right yeah. that's why he's there just continuing on and playing but it is a it is a real um threat into the development pathways that's what it, that's what i would call out mm-hmm. tim just to um give a bit uh give a bit more of a a plug to the club is if there's any way that um, uh, if there's anyone out there who wants to get involved with the club, be it playing, coaching, sponsoring, or, or just helping out in any way that they can, 
how can they get in touch with uh, All Saints Tuning Abbey Tigers? Yeah, um, look, I can give you a live example. Blake Ashford's brother, um, he's one of our trainers this year, Chris, and he just messaged through the email and just said, um, hey, footy's been a f- part of my family. My kids aren't really into footy, but I'd love to be involved. And, you know, and he came to the club. We said, look, well, what do you think? There's a team here that needs a spot. Um, he went and got his blue shirt. Um, so he's a yellow or blue. I think he's going to do his coaching this year. And you know what? He turned up on a Saturday morning and was running the blue shirt in the middle, Thunder Sixes, when he had no right to do that. And that just inspires me when people do that. And they're like, but I do nothing compared to what you do. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm sort of forced because of my kids. <laughs> I said, but you're, you're here for nothing. You're just here for, you know, the least I can do is give you a free bloody sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> and, and pay for your blue shirt, right? Your course, you know? And, yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know, we've always covered people's, you know, out-of-pocket expenses. I don't know what other clubs do, but we certainly do pay for people's blue shirts and cover the yellows if they want or reimburse and, you know, and, and try and get, you know, this year they had training shorts, training shirt, you know, a yellow, dedicated yellow shirt with um, sponsors, you know, a cap. Do what we can to you know, to make it a pleasant experience so that you're not there going, oh, geez, I didn't really get much for what I put in there, you know? And that, like, that speaks to that community that you've really fostered at All Saints to Gabby Tigers, which is awesome. Yeah, and that's, yeah, that's exactly right. But look, you know, anyone that wants to get in touch, you know, you just, you know, through, whether it's through any of the social media portals, through our email, whatever, phone to me, mate, I'm always available. And, you know, I do our best to cater, but we love you know, new trainers, managers, it's great. I mean, it's always good to have new fresh blood and fresh approaches, fresh ideas. So. Well, if there's yeah. anyone listening to this podcast or reading the accompanying blog that uh, 60s will get up after and you are interested in supporting the All Saints to Gabby Tigers or having your kids participate, uh, you can catch them at theallsaintstoongabby.com. That's their main hub on the website and on the socials. They're the All Saints Toon Gabby Tigers on both Instagram and Facebook. And then on Twitter, it's the AST Tigers. So a nice little abbreviation for the um, the at handle there, AST Tigers. Yeah. Um, Tim, sincerely like to thank you, mate. That was a really fun chat. Um, we, we've been a huge fan of the growth in the female game at the junior representative level because that's where we've been mostly hands-on with Natasha Gale. But to see where it's come from with the All Saints 2 Gabby Tigers is really, really cool. So thank you for the time talking about that and, you know, all the mental health stuff that the Tigers are doing as well. Thank you very much. And it's um, been a pleasure to chat with you both and um, gather eels through the finals. And, um, yeah, and, and hopefully we get on to, to the development park at some stage for all the juniors to um, wear the blue and gold. Excellent words, mate. Thank you. For that's your that's a that's a great note to end on. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Catch you later, mate. Cheers. Well, I wasn't kidding earlier when I said it was a, a mammoth, uh, a huge endeavour this week to bring an end to the regulation season, mate. But uh, I think we're just about ready to wrap it all up. Well, mate, my thank you to anyone that stuck around to the end. Now that might include the uh, good people from the Toongabby Tigers who may have joined us for the latter part of this podcast, have a bit of a listen to 
uh, what Tim had to say about their great club. So if you've been someone that's just joined us for the first time via the chat with Tim Mogridge, uh, thank you. And uh, maybe you might go back and have a bit of a listen to the early part of the podcast as well. And uh, welcome to the uh, the tip sheet and to the Cumberland Throw if you're if you're new to joining us. We do have a pretty healthy back catalogue these days too if you want to go back and listen to our chats with uh, various football identities and legends across the recent weeks and years. So, yeah, it's been a real pleasure. And, and like you said, thanks to Tim and the Two Gabby Tigers, the All Saints Two Gabby Tigers, for what was a really, really insightful chat. Um, they're doing some fantastic things there and, and they really are at the form, forefront and the foremost presence in uh, some of the most important growth areas in the game. So... Uh, really, really cool stuff. And in terms of the Eels, huge game against Penrith for a lot of the uh, young kids and fringe boys this week, and we hope they all have a chance to shine. But, yeah, the uh, real football starts in a week, mate, uh, and I can't wait. Can't wait, mate. And uh, we'll be looking forward to our, our preview podcasts during the final series. Yeah, so, I think you've, um, think you've yeah, lined up a, a, a very strong returning roster too. The Eels are reinforced with Quentin Gufferson and Reagan Campbell-Gillard, and the tip sheet's following suit. That's it. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've got. We'll, we'll be. We'll be bringing up the the big guns for the for the preview. So exactly. um, yeah, we'll just leave it at that. <laughs> As always, thank you guys for stopping by and having a listen. Uh, you can always give us a like and a subscription on uh, Spotify, SoundCloud, and uh, iTunes. Otherwise, uh, have a chat on TCT. Uh, stay safe and catch you guys in the finals. Go the Eels. <laughs>